Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hi YouTube, it's Joshua Miles and welcome back. Make sure you subscribe to this channel and you've hit that bell icon so you can be notified every single time I post a brand new Curious Case episode. And with all that being said, let's delve right into this case. In the early hours of the 27th of March 2011, at about 2am, a train passing through the city of Finsley, Ohio, struck what the train conductor thought to be a deer. After stopping the train, the conductor alighted the locomotive and began to walk back along the tracks to locate the likely mutilated remains of the deer. But what the train conductor discovered under his train would blow open a case of abuse gangs, and domineering control. Vera Jo Regal was born on Friday the 11th of July 1986 in Findlay, Ohio, to parents Lynn and Verna Messersmith. 
It's important to note that Vera had two listed surnames. She is listed as Vera Jo Regal in police reports, but as Vera Jo Messersmith in her obituary and gravestone. For the purposes of this episode, we will be referencing to her by just her first name, Vera. It's also important to note that there's conflicting information on Vera's date of birth, with some sources listing the 11th of July 1986 and others listing the 31st of July 1987, though the most listed birthday is the 11th of July 1986, so we shall be using that date as the basis for her age. Unfortunately for Vera, her life would be a story of manipulation, being taken advantage of, and abuse from everyone she would know. At the age of 11 years old, Vera's first major encounter with abuse would occur. Her father, Willard Regal, began to sexually abuse her. The abuse took place between the 15th of June 1998 and the 15th of July 1998. Willard was actually caught doing this and was indicted on the 17th of November 1998 on four counts of rape and four specifications alleging that he was a sexually violent predator. Subsequently, on the 7th of October 1999, he was found guilty on four counts of rape and would later be found guilty on the four sexually violent predator specifications. He was sentenced in March of the year 2000 and received an aggregated sentence of 40 years to life imprisonment. Following her father's conviction, Vera began to distance herself from her mother and her mother's family. It's unclear why exactly this was, perhaps she blames them for not intervening or preventing the abuse that she had endured. Whatever the case, Vera essentially cut them off. This traumatic abuse that she had suffered wasn't the only challenge that Vera faced in her upbringing. I was unable to pinpoint much detail about Vera's diagnosis, but what we do know is that she was found to have an intellectual disability. Medical experts found that Vera appeared to have the intellectual capacity similar to that of an eight-year-old. Regardless of her diagnosis, Vera, with support from her teachers and specialised classes, graduated from her high school with great grades. Though, following her graduation, and without the support network Vera had in high school, Vera found it difficult to figure out where she was going to go next. Vera's intellectual disability made finding an accommodating job very hard for her, and subsequently she decided to apply for a disability welfare package, which she was accepted for. This welfare package enabled Vera to continue looking for an accommodating job while remaining financially secure. When Vera was 19 years old, she would meet a boy who would sadly become the beginning of a pivotal downward spiral for her. This boy was called Zachary Brooks, and he was just 13 years old when he first met Vera. Vera was still desperately trying to get away from her mother and her mother's family, and so when Zachary and his family offered for her to move in with them, she jumped at the offer. And so 19-year-old Vera moved into the Brooks household, and her life would be forever changed for the worst. It's important to ascertain the structure of the Brooks family to be able to fully understand what happened in this case. 
The family could be seen as operating more like a gang than as a traditional family. At the top of the proverbial food chain was Cherry Brooks. Cherry was married to a man called Kevin Brooks and was the mother of nine children, though five of those children were actually taken away from her by social services, one after another. She would have a child, the child would be taken away, and then she would have another one. The reasons for why Cherry's first five children were taken away are extremely disturbing. In one instance, Cherry's family members had walked in on her holding her baby boy's genitalia to her mouth. Another child was taken away after the one-year-old child had actually been raped. After five of her children had been taken away, Cherry decided to have more children with her husband. All four of the subsequent children were sons and they were not taken away by social services and all four of those sons would grow up to become well-known criminals in and around the city of Finsley. You see, the entire Brooks family were connected to or were members of a local gang called the Crips Street Gang, the local um, version of, of the Crips Gang, and they would regularly engage in assault, burglary, and drug trafficking. Sherry Brooks was known within these criminal circles as Sugar Babe. The Brooks boys were called Kevin, otherwise known as Punky, Zachary, Garth, and Chucky. Zachary Brooks was the second oldest son out of the four that hadn't been taken away from Sherry, and he hadn't really ventured yet into the life of crime that his older siblings had already done. This criminal inclination wasn't limited to just Cherry's immediate family, but also their extended family. Zachary Brooks had a 21-year-old cousin called Danny Bixler, who had been sentenced to serve time in prison for related crimes. We'll come back to Danny Bixler later on in this case and explore his connection to what happened. But first, we have to delve deeper into Sherry Brooks, her history, her upbringing, and her motives. Sherry Lynn Brooks was born on the 3rd of November 1962 in Findlay with the maiden name of Emmons. Her father, who was known as Big Chuck, began to sexually abuse her when Sherry was just a toddler. As a result of this sexual abuse, Cherry was eventually taken away by social services and placed into the foster care system, though Sherry continued to engage in a sexual relationship with her father, and she would continue it even after she married Kevin Brooks. Sherry's misconstrued view of what parenting should be following the sexual abuse she suffered from her father became the base for how Sherry would raise her own children and Sherry had an extremely concerning obsession with babies. She would convince her son's girlfriends to get pregnant so that the new babies would be brought into her life. Sherry desperately wanted a baby girl, though the baby's gender was hardly an issue when it came to Sherry's predatory behaviours. So when Vera came into Sherry's world, after Sherry had invited her to come live with her and her family, it wasn't long before Vera became pregnant. Vera was 22 years old and her boyfriend Zachary was 16 when she became pregnant. Allegedly, Sherry Brooks had told Vera that if she were to become pregnant, then the child would belong to Sherry and not Vera, meaning that Sherry would effectively baby nap Vera's child and deny Vera any contact with her own baby. 
Sherry's control over Vera even saw Sherry cashing Vera's disability support check every month instead of Vera cashing the check, which it was supposed to be for Vera, so she should have been the one cashing it. And Vera wasn't the only person with a disability in the Brooks household. The entire Brooks household was funded by government supports for people with disabilities and through illegal criminal activities, such as the selling of substances through the Crips gang. Photographs of Sherry Brooks and her children throwing gang signs related to the Crips gang circulated through social media in the years leading up to the tragedy of this case. There even was a photograph of Sherry Brooks in a wheelchair throwing up gang signs. The Crips gang had been led by Sherry Brooks's son, Punky, and it was very well known that Punky was the leader of the local Crips gang, and he was very much feared in the Finslay community. But all that changed on the 5th of August 2010. Punky, who was 19 years old at the time, had been on a walk with his girlfriend, Heather. Some sources claim that Punky and Heather had been going to pick up some diacetyl morphine, otherwise known as heroin. Sadly, on the way to pick up these drugs, a vehicle came out of nowhere and slammed straight into Punky, the leader of the local Crips gang. Punky was pronounced dead on the scene. The loss of Punky was absolutely devastating to the Brooks family, and especially to Cherry, and Cherry couldn't believe that somebody would simply slam into her son in the way they did, and she desperately wanted to seek revenge. So, she began to suspect that Heather wasn't telling the truth. Sherry began to tell anyone and everyone who would listen that Heather, Punky's girlfriend, had been solely responsible for Punky's death. She claimed that Heather had actually pushed Punky into the road, causing him to be hit and killed. These claims were completely without any form of evidence. It was a complete fabrication, and it was a fabrication that Cherry made sure Heather paid the price for. She ordered some of Punky's friends from the local Crips gang to quote, beat the hell out of Heather. And Sherry ensured that she would be present to watch her revenge take place. She pulled up a chair, sat down and laughed while Heather was being beaten. Following Punky's death, Zachary, Vera's boyfriend, took his brother's place as the leader of the local Crips gang. After Sherry learned that Vera was pregnant, her view on Vera completely changed. She saw her less of a human and more of a walking and talking baby machine. Vera became the family's slave. During the period in which Vera lived at the Brooks house, before and during her pregnancy, she was subjected to abuse. She would be beaten, assaulted, and raped by Cherry's sons. In fact, some sources report that police were called to the Brooks family home about 10 times in the two years leading up to this case's tragedy. Vera herself had been questioned by the authorities, both the police and social workers, on the account of the very obvious physical abuse she had sustained, though whenever she was questioned, Vera would always say that the Brooks family treated her very well and that she was perfectly happy staying with them. She told them that she wanted to continue living with the Brooks family and that was that. Despite Vera's disability, she was still old enough to make her own decisions, and regardless of the signs of abuse, the authorities had to let her make these decisions and let her stay there. As previously mentioned, Vera's pregnancy experience in the Brooks household was horrific. She was subjected to beatings, commanded to do all the chores around the house, made to massage Sherry Brooks's feet, 
and was viewed as subhuman. Unfortunately for Vera, this treatment made her pregnancy very difficult and complicated, and her labour wasn't without the involvement of Sherry Brooks. You see, Sherry Brooks had this obsessive need for Vera's baby to be born on Sherry's birthday. And so on Sherry's birthday, the 3rd of November, one month before Vera's baby was due, Sherry forced a heavily pregnant Vera to drink castor oil in an attempt to induce an early labour. Castor oil is an old midwife's trick used to induce labour, with even a very small amount of studies conducted on animals to loosely support the trick. The trick entails the pregnant person to take two or three tablespoons of castor oil. According to Pampers... We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Castor oil, made from the beans of a castor plant, contains ricinoleic acid. After your body absorbs this acid, it creates a laxative effect. Some medical professionals have used it previously in the relief of constipation. It is believed in this old midwife's tale that castor oil stimulates contractions in the uterus as it stimulates the intestines to contract, therefore relieving constipation. However, not a lot of scientific proof exists to fully support this tale, with only a handful of these animal studies being conducted. Castor oil can actually interfere with your body's ability to absorb nutrients and can actually cause you to become nauseous, vomit, suffer from stomach pain and to become dehydrated. Again, the old wives' tale suggests just a tablespoon or two to get the show on the road. But Cherry forced Vera to drink three. No, not three tablespoons three full bottles of castor oil. Sherry was so desperate for Vera's baby to be born on her birthday, though it seemed as if Vera's baby had other plans, as the following day on the 4th of November, the baby was born a month prematurely, the day after Sherry's birthday. The baby had to enter the NICU due to the prematurity, and from the moment that Vera's baby was discharged from the NICU, Cherry effectively kidnapped the newborn. Cherry names the baby girl Willardine, and she told Vera that she wasn't allowed to even interact with her own daughter unless Cherry had given her explicit permission. Sherry also began to tell everyone that Willardine was her own child. If Vera touched Willardine without permission, Zachary or Sherry would proceed to beat Vera up. Vera was made to instead spend her days doing the domestic chores, cleaning the house, or giving Sherry a foot massage. Vera wasn't even allowed to speak to her own biological family, she was only allowed to speak to the Brooks family. Despite all of this, Vera knew that the baby Willardine was hers, and that she wanted to take the baby and get out of the Brooks family home. On numerous occasions, Vera attempted to take the baby back from Sherry and run away, but Sherry was always one step ahead. Sherry ensured that somebody was always watching both Vera and Willardine. She had the baby sleep in her own bedroom so she could watch it overnight, and she made threats to Vera, telling her that if Vera ever did try to leave, then they would track her down and murder her baby, slashing Willardine's throat. 
That applied to just Vera running off or Vera running off with Willardine. Vera had already been subjected to untold abuse, so she knew that these threats were not empty. When the police and social services had visited the Brooks family home, they took notes of the conditions that Willardine was being raised in. According to some sources, the family had a pet pig who lived in the house with the family and at least one family dog. The pig and the dogs weren't potty trained and so the animals would relieve themselves wherever they fancied within the home and the house itself was very rarely, if at all, cleaned. With at least 10 people living there at any given moment alongside the animals, the house was an absolute state. Vera had been made to sleep in a closet in the house, and she shared this closet with the Brooks family pet pig. Allegedly, when Vera would act out, she would be forced to consume the pig's feces as a punishment. The treatment of Vera following the birth of Willardine became more and more horrific. Sherry would tell visitors to the family home that she thought Vera looked cute with her black eyes, quote, like a little squirrel or a raccoon. It wasn't long before Sherry and her sons began to conspire against Vera. Sherry wanted Vera dead so that the baby Willardine would be 100% hers, and Sherry already knew who she wanted to carry out the act. A cousin to the family, Danny Bixlow, who we briefly mentioned earlier in this case, had been released from prison, and Danny Bixler and his 17-year-old girlfriend, Nicole Peters, found sexual gratification from abusing Vera. They would beat up Vera, then disappear upstairs to have sex before coming back down and beating Vera more. Sherry knew that Danny Bixler and Nicole Peters would love to, quote, finish Vera off but she had to come up with a good reason. And so, Sherry decided to lie to Danny and Nicole about what had happened to her son Punky on the night he had been killed. Sherry told them that Punky and Vera had been on a walk together and that Vera had been the one to push Punky into the road. We know for a fact that Punky had been with his girlfriend Heather that night and not Vera, but Sherry was trying to use her son's death as a pawn in her sick game. Sherry also began to falsify Vera's attacks on the family. On one occasion, Sherry claimed to have been cleaning out a rabbit cage in their backyard with Vera when Vera threw a brick down on Sherry's foot, allegedly causing permanent damage. There were no witnesses to this incident, and some of the family members in the Brooks home weren't convinced by Sherry's lie. Regardless, Sherry ordered Vera to be punished for what she had done. Vera was beaten so severely that she had to be hospitalised, but she still refused to press charges against the Brooks family. Danny Bixler and Nicole Peters were now 100% on board to get rid of Vera. They now just needed a cover story. And so Sherry came up with a lie designed to protect the family. She told her family to repeat her cover story to the police when they were asked. Sherry claims that Vera had set off a canister of mace all over the house, and that this mace had caused Sherry's son Michael's wife to have a miscarriage, which is completely messed up as Michael's wife, who was called Shannon, wasn't even pregnant at the time. As a result of this, Sherry instructed her family to tell the police that following the mating incident, Vera left the Brooks family home that night with a boyfriend. A boyfriend that doesn't exist, a boyfriend who Sherry claims to be black and to be from a different town, trying to point the police to somebody who doesn't exist, which is 
a extremely dangerous for the black community in the town and also really really messed up what really happened the evening of vera's death was horrific at about 9 p.m on the 26th of march 2011 danny bixler nicole peters and zachary brooks the father of vera's child decided to take vera for a walk Vera seemingly knew what was coming, and she turned to Michael's wife, Shannon, for help. You see, Vera and Shannon had become almost like friends in the weeks leading up to her death, and Shannon would later claim that she was convinced Vera knew that she was going to die. But Shannon stayed silent, and after some resistance, Danny Bixler, Nicole Peters, and Zachary Brooks left the Brooks family home with Vera. The group walked to nearby train tracks, and once they'd reached a predetermined location on the tracks, the group began their vicious attack. According to some sources, Danny Bixler and Nicole Peters were the ones to begin the attack. They attempted to use a dull knife to stab Vera to death, though due to the knife being dull, it was actually unable to penetrate through Vera's clothes. It is then reported that the group changed tactics and asked Vera to remove her clothing and shoes so that the knife could stab straight into her, and Vera did as they asked, all while begging for her life. It was then that Danny and Nicole stabbed Vera several times, all while Vera continued to scream for her life. And to finish off the job, Danny took the knife, stood behind Vera and slit her throat from ear to ear. They then moved Vera's body and placed her over the train tracks so that when a train passed through, it would completely dismember her remains. Danny, Nicole and Zachary then returned to the Brooks family home, laughing and joking around about what they had just done. Then, at about 2am on the 27th of March 2011, a train passed through the town. The train's conductor believed he had hit a deer, but when he inspected the scene, he discovered Vera's body. Vera's remains were actually found lying in the middle of the train tracks instead of lying across them as she had been left. The police believed that she, in her final moments, had pulled herself from lying across the train tracks and lied down in the middle to avoid being hit and avoid being completely dismembered by a passing train. She had a clearance of about an inch from the train wheels. At around the same time as the train conductor discovering Vera's remains, Danny Bixler, Nicole Peters, and Zachary Brooks went to a party at a friend's house where they literally celebrated Vera's murder. Danny Bixler's sister had also gone to the party, unaware of what had taken place earlier that evening, and she noticed that Zachary seemed to be off. He appeared to be sulking and depressed, and so, worried for her friend, she asked him what was wrong. That was when Zachary confessed everything to her. He told her what they had done to Vera. Horrified, she then confronted her brother Danny Bixler about it all, and he also confessed to her about what had happened. Danny's sister then went straight to the police. Investigators immediately arrested Danny Bixler and Nicole Peters and charged them with aggravated murder. Horrifically, the day after the murders, Sherry Brooks and Zachary contacted the state in an attempt to obtain full custody and parental rights of Vera's baby Willardine. The cover story that Sherry had come up with and insisted that the family use when speaking to the police was used by Danny Bixler and Nicole Peters during their statement. And with the corroboration of the Brooks family, this cover story had a high chance of success. 
That was if Sherry Brooks wasn't well known throughout her hometown of Finsley for wanting Vera to disappear so that she could gain full custody of Willardine. It quickly became clear to the investigators in this case that the cover story was a fake and that Sherry had Vera killed so that she could take the baby. As a result of this, Sherry Brooks and numerous other members of the family were arrested and charged with obstruction of a police investigation. Sherry Brooks and the others were put on probation. After a quick trial, Danny Bixler was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 40 years in 2051. His girlfriend, Nicole Peters, was tried as an adult despite being 17 at the time of the murder and was ultimately sentenced to 23 years in prison for her part in Vera's murder. Interestingly, Zachary Brooks was only charged with lying to the police and nothing else. Danny and Nicole were the only people who were imprisoned for Vera's murder. They were not the only two people responsible for Vera's death though. Sherry Brooks was the mastermind behind the crime. She was the one that ordered the murder to take place and she received no punishment for her part. She only received probation. In 2015, Sherry Brooks was sentenced to 40 months imprisonment for breaking her probation. She had been caught trafficking drugs. Two other members of the Brooks family were also charged with the selling of prescription drugs. I believe it was her husband and her son. Sherry Brooks actually pled guilty in court, but that wasn't the only time that Sherry broke her probation. She was actually sentenced to 10 days in prison in 2014 for inappropriate contact with an unrelated minor. It's crazy to me that she was only put behind bars for 10 days for this disgusting crime. Sherry Brooks is a sex offender, a child predator, and a murderer, and today she walks free. Vera's baby Willardine was taken away from the Brooks family shortly after Vera's death and was put up for adoption. Vera's biological family hope that this means that Willardine will have a better chance at life and getting a good life than what uh, Vera had. A note from Vera to Willardine was discovered in Vera's purse, written shortly before she would be murdered. The note read, I love you Willardine. You are a good little baby girl to us. I'm glad to be your mummy, and I'm glad that I had you on November 4th at 4.16am, 6 pounds, 2 ounces, 19 inches long. Mummy loves you. It angers me to my core that Sherry walks free today despite what she has done. I just can't wrap my head around these, this case and that Sherry is free right now continuing to do what she wants to do. It's absolutely crazy. And that's all I have for you in today's case. Let me know your thoughts on this case in the comment section down below. Do you think that Sherry Brooks should have been investigated more fully? Do you think that there was some kind of incompetence in the local authorities for not putting her away behind bars for a longer period of time or a failure of the system? Let me know what you think down in the comment section. I hope you are just as excited as I am for the launch of my store on Sunday. It'll be live at 6pm British Standard Time. There's very limited stock available, so make sure you're on the website ready to go. 10% of every purchase is being donated to the DNA Dough Project, and the entire production line is completely carbon neutral and eco-friendly. I'm excited to see you with the products I've been working so hard on for the past six months. Make sure you subscribe to this channel and you've hit that bell icon so you can be notified every single time I post a brand new Curious Case episode just like this one. And with all that being said, I'll see you in the next case.